Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's the second time it's gone on. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. Come down to Wanfield, and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you Johnny man? Sixty-two million euro. That's the amount of money Neymar Senior is reportedly going to pick up this week. Sixty-two million euro for Neymar Senior. Hello and welcome to Monday Second Hands Podcast. Hi, Ken. Hi, Murph. Hello, The Sunday Times reported yesterday that today marks the day that. Neymar Sr. earns a €26 million Euro commission from Barcelona for persuading his son to sign a new contract with the club last summer. <laughs> and according to the Catalan newspaper Sport, Neymar Sr. signing on fee, if the move to Paris Saint-Germain happens, will be another €36 million. Bring the total to 62 Guess how much Luis Figo's entire transfer fee was when he controversially left Barcelona in the summer of 2000, Ken? Uh, £37 million, pounds, wasn't it? It was, which I guess Euros, I mean, if they were to use today's exchange rate, I guess it would be £41 million or something. Right, well, everywhere I've read says 62 million, which was the entire point of my introduction. So I'm going to stick with 62 million euro. Yeah, it was th- I think it was 37 million pounds at the time. Oh, right, okay, well. Um, you can take it up with all, all my various sources, my various online sources, uh, who I'm not prepared to, re- prepared to reveal, Murph, just in case you ask. You'll die before you reveal <laughs> your online sources. So well, a footballer's dad, n- to complete this, um, now possibly mm, shaky, uh, hmm. Introduction. Defunct. A footballer's dad now makes as much out of a deal as the world record transfer fee of 17 years ago. Well, it's like Raiola, you know, making more money than Pogba. It's just there's something about it being his dad. I don't know. It just seems like you don't even have to be a footballer anymore. You can just have a son who's an amazing well, footballer and you're still... If you father a truly great footballer... And have a keen business sense. But he, he's like his Maynard. agent. Like, I mean, he, or, or, you know, he's I'm the guy who's, that, yeah. who's acting as his agent. So it's really, I mean, in a sense, this is this is... Better than the Raiola Pogba situation, in my opinion, in that at least it's in the Neymar family. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's still Neymar's money, really, isn't it? You'd have to think some of that money, even if he wasn't his agent, would have, you know, it would have gotten down to Neymar's dad eventually. Yeah. So better that Neymar's dad does well out of it than an unknown, well, whatever about an unknown agent. And otherwise, undes- uh, uh, an agent who is deserving of that money for no other reason than being well, an look, agent. Raiola is, is close to Paul Pogba. You know, they're good friends in addition to having a business relationship. But when Mina Raiola, 
you know, God forbid, passes away, is Paul Pogba going to inherit his fortune? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, maybe he might leave him something. But, you know, it's not as though he's uh, he's first in line for the inheritance there. Whereas Neymar, um, I suppose when, you know, when that sad day comes with Neymar Sr., will be in line to collect. Speaking of big money moves, Murph, there's a spot for you as presenter of Guardian Football Weekly. Now that James Richardson and producer Ben have left mm. to join a new venture headed by Ian McIntosh. That was the big sports media world news today. William Hill have a book out on Jimbo's replacement. Do you want to hear the favourites? Yeah. Runners, the runners Go and writers. On. Go on. Nine to four favourite Max Rushton. Okay. Seven to two Dave Farrar. Six to one Jonathan Wilson. Seven to one Paul so McKinnon. Six to one Wilson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you might have a gobble there. Have a nibble. Eight to one Barry Lindenning and Jacob Steinberg. Okay. Nine to one Rob Curling. Ten to one Ken Early and Josh Whitt. Wait whoa, a second. Wait a whoa, sec. whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up the ten to one Ken Early. Whew, that's a little bit too. It's a little too short for my... It hasn't tumbled in recent uh, hours or anything, Ken, has it? You've got an opportunity to distance yourself from this feverish midsummer transfer speculation right now, Ken, on the second Captain's podcast. Well, it's normal. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's always flattering to be linked with top um, media productions. But? Well, I'm, I'm happy in Dublin. <laughs> I'm settled away from the studio. I'm, I'm settled. My wife uh, is happy here. Mm. She enjoys the lifestyle. She settled well here, yeah. She enjoys the lifestyle in, in Dublin. Uh, we have the best listeners in the world. You know, I'll, always, <laughs> I'll always remember you know, what it was like to mm. podcast for these listeners. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something I I'm, I'm probably will tell my grandchildren about. Where, uh, where, where do these stories come from, Ken? You know? I've, I've no idea. I mean, people are trying to sell papers, I suppose. Um, but I am a second captain's presenter until someone tells me otherwise. <laughs> I don't care about humor. If I'm taking that, taking that as Ken Early refutes mm. speculation. Would it always have been a dream of yours to... Actually, forget it. Drum hell, Simon, before we go anywhere else, please. Always oh, got to let him finish there. We can now unveil our guests for our Premier League night that we announced last week with Cadbury. This is on Wednesday, August 9th in Dublin's Sugar Club. First batch of tickets were inhaled, absolutely inhaled by our World Service members last week. We'll be releasing some more tomorrow. That's Tuesday. Details on how to get those tickets will be revealed on tomorrow's World Service podcast. And our guests will be... Another drum helmet, what do you think? Yeah, why not? Yeah, another drum <laughs> Let him finish. <laughs> Shay Shazer, given. Jason Macker, McIntyre. Well, probably Trigger. Yeah, well, yeah. Niall Mighty Quinn, or Quinn, if you, if you fancy that one, Quinn. Richie X5 Sad Sadler. How are you, lads? And finally, Robbie God Fowler. That's a good nickname. As uh, nicknames go, being called God on. So if you want a chance to get tickets to see Shazer, Trigger, Mighty Quinn. Mighty Quinner. God X5 Sads. No, you don't say Mighty. It's either Mighty Quinn or Quinner. Listen to tomorrow's episode of the Second Captain's Podcast on the World Service. These are free tickets, by the way, and it's all with thanks to Cadbury, who are official snack partners of the Premier League from the 2017-2018 season. If you don't get there in the night, we will be broadcasting the show on Thursday, August 10th. However, you will not then get to see Murph dressed up as a Cadbury cream egg, which is in his contract. Sorry, sorry, what was that? Yeah, it's in your contract. Uh, A Cadbury's cream egg. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what, well, I'd take a Freddo on. Well, you uh, can I'm be not, a life-size Freddo. I mean, am I actually going to be... Is the egg itself going to be filled with delicious Cadbury goo? I hope so. There's a chance you might drown. <laughs> Ken! <laughs> Sorry, I just... That was an escalation. I felt I, I had felt. to... I just, I just felt that I had to say that. Drowned in Cadbury cream delicious egg Delicious Cadbury cream egg goo. 
That's what, what a way to go. Report on sport, please, Cam. Um, so I guess uh, Darren Gibson is probably the obvious place to start, expressing opinions about his Sunderland teammates, not too far away from what I've just expressed about Murph. <laughs> um, of course, the ethics of this one are, are a bit dubious. I don't, I'm not sure Darren Gibson was aware that he's being filmed, although he was being filmed. Mm. I mean, whoever was doing it was obviously quite crafty about it because Gibson is sort of standing there and, you know, all he needs to do is, is sort of look four feet slightly to the uh, right and he can see, well, should theoretically be able to see that there's a phone capturing mm. what he's saying. Fair cop. I mean, at least he said it to me face, Ken. That's true. <laughs> you know? Uh, I mean, in this case... Sure, you w- you hoped that I would drown, but nevertheless... <laughs> in this case, Big uh, big Gibbo has been... Um, well, he, he, he was uh, part of Sunderland's 5-0 defeat to Brendan Rodgers' Celtic. And uh, obviously nobody was, was particularly happy with how that game had gone. Least of all, Darren Gibson, because uh, he's got a big red and white striped heart, uh, which was beating with rage at... Uh, Sunderland's surrender, um, and uh, he was he was talking to a group of supporters. He was in a bar setting, and you know, I mean, watch the video and make up your own mind as to how much Darren Gibson had to drink. But certainly, the fans uh, surrounding him seemed to think that he'd had had a few. And in fact, he said himself that he was out of his head. So, I guess we guess <laughs> we're on fairly safe ground. But what did he do? He he uh, he explained to the fans that um, we're fucking shit. Uh, of course I'm bothered. I don't want to be shit. There are too many people at the club who don't give a fuck. Who are you talking about, Darren? Well, you tell me, he says. So they say, you mean Lamine Cohen 8? And he's like, there's one of them. Uh, and then... Uh, you've done well there. What was, it? what was the John Delaney one? You've suggested a name. You've, you've put a number there. Yeah, John Delaney. Singing to John Delaney again after the... Whole Kevin Myers thing blew up there. It's, uh, remember the remember the Kevin Myers or the John Delaney five million story suddenly becoming global news a year after it was first reported, mm-hmm. <laughs> as everyone in Ireland had just kind of gone, oh yeah. <laughs> Similarly, Kevin Myers' articles for oh is, is yeah the last, articles the, the last several decades have just been, everyone's just been like oh of course I mean the the one on the Irish Independent w- website about you know where he's he said the Holocaust did not take place um you know uh, I mean his 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 argument in that article wasn't quite as uh, it, it, there was a bit of sophistry employed to sort of say well it didn't happened exactly this way but it kind of s- said things like I'm a holocaust denier and all this kind of stuff um, which the Irish Independent removed uh, the independent.ie removed because it does not um, after it had been brought to our attention having been on our website for the last eight years because it didn't conform with our editorial standards so oh, you know we're a, we're a small strange little country in many ways on Gibbo anyway, Gibbo yeah uh, where was I um, so Gibbo slagging off his teammates and, and being recorded. Is this is this ever really a fair move? Probably not. Um, but I suppose it's just the reality of of uh, of how life is these days. I mean, we've seen it happen to lots of people. Sam Allardyce obviously was was stitched up in a, in a kind of a professional sting operation. Steve Keen, remember him, the Blackburn manager at the time. Mm-hmm. He was slagging off Sam actually, wasn't he? When he was recorded talking about. Uh, Talking about some goings on at Blackburn in a self-aggrandizing and um, ultimately uh, very damaging way, uh, but Gibson being recorded uh, saying his teammates don't care, 
um, unlike him. Uh, and the fans made the point, uh, an important point, I feel, that, that I'm glad it was raised with Darren Gibson. It's like, well, you're in here drinking after we've lost. Doesn't really, you're not exactly the picture of commitment there. Like, what's going on with that? Um, Gibson said, right, I might be off my face in here, but I still want to play for Sunderland. Sunderland, the rest of them fucking don't, though. The rest of them don't. So, D uh, Darren Gibson, the man who, you know, loves some of them more than any of these worthless uh, teammates. I want to play for the team. I want to drown my sorrows with the fans. Yeah. And I, I want to go back and win with Sunderland. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Gibson uh, and, and Sunderland have put out a statement saying his, his behaviour was not in key. They actually misspelled his name on the statement as well. They spelled it D-A-R-E-N, whereas everybody... Well, they spelled it both ways in the same statement, but, you know... Um, just another insult for for Gibson's ego to uh, absorb. I mean, it's Sunderland has not been a happy club. No, it, it hasn't. Was not a happy club last year. It there was a, always a fear. We talked a lot about the defeatist attitude that seemed to permeate the club last year. Yeah, and there was there was never a great sense that this was a team going anywhere. Well, it was going to go somewhere. Yeah, damn. that place was was down. That's eventually happened, and. You, there's a lot of signs that this mightn't be. They've been a team that's gone up and down for years. That they might be coming back up anytime soon. I don't want to read too much into one uh, preseason result and then a player giving out about other being caught uh, in a in a moment. Well, like, of candor giving out about other players, but I, 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 I think don't know. it's true. This yeah. there's chaos. Like uh, there's no, or it's just this entropy. You know, it's like since Ella Short has taken over, um, it's been a long and and slow decline. I mean, there have been a lot of crises in that time, but they've always they kind of managed to get away with quite a few of them, but with well-timed runs of wins, you know, to, to kind of just escape. Um, but eventually they, they met with their richly deserved doom, and it's hard to see how this club, structured as it is, is going to bounce straight back up out of the championship. More likely to go the other direction, I would imagine. You think? I think so, yeah. Not this season, though. Well, look, like, I mean, what Gibson is saying there is indicative of, of a fairly toxic um, environment, I would say. Like, I mean, you know, Gibson's been kind of stitched up here, but this is yet another reason not to go drinking with with fans, you know? I mean, we talk about, like, oh, it's terrible, the bond has been broken between players and fans. I mean, this is this is something that footballers mostly have, have got their heads around 10 years ago. You know what I mean? This The idea that that you have to be careful that you're not being recorded, you're not being f photographed or filmed in, you know, an embarrassing situation. And being, as, you know, in Gibson's own words, off your face, uh, you know, after you've lost 5-0, is never going to look good. You know, he sh I don't understand how a very experienced player, I mean, is he 30 yet? He's nearly, he's nearly 30. Could be so silly as to do this. You know, it's just, you really kind of... You feel a bit sorry for him in a way, you know. You kind of wonder, well, why? Why is he not able to to avoid a, a simple, simple situation like this? But you know, he's twenty nine, twenty nine years old. Like the guy really should know better. But you know, I was interested to see there was some some tweets and you know the secret footballer uh, on Twitter. I mean, I'm not sure if exactly who he is. Everybody seems to have their own ideas. But he he said, uh, Darren is absolutely spot on here, and he isn't the only Sunderland player that thinks this. Source from the SAFC changing room said that some of the black players don't care and a couple didn't even know the club got relegated. Some of the black players? I think that's extraordinary. Who said that? that was a, uh, this was the secret footballer oh. quoting his, so that he was an anonymous figure yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, quoting his anonymous source in okay. Sunderland's uh, 
uh, changing room with with what I think is a fairly uh, pretty irresponsible thing to be claiming. I mean, who is this person? You know, if you're going to make a claim like that, what you know, what's this based on? Mm. You know, it, it, it certainly suggests to me that things are pretty bad. You know, if pe people are kind of saying stuff like this. Um, we can see what Gibson is saying. But the amount of this stuff indiscreet enough to get himself recorded. Yeah, but the amount of this stuff coming out. I did notice that all the yeah, I mean the players, um, Kone, Germain Lawrence, and Wabi Kazri, who's obviously of uh, North African uh, origin. What sorry? What about those players? Well, two black players and a North African. Are what? They're the three players that that Darren Gibson right. was referring to, or the fans. They they were three players who were named by the supporters. Yeah, in in uh, and, and he was suggesting that they they were among those who didn't care. The thing with any of the, any of this is that it, it, parts of some of the stories that come out might be true, some mightn't be, but they're all coming out. There, there's too much there. That this you, this is the problem when there's a club surrounded by a toxic atmosphere is that it it starts not mattering to supporters necessarily what's true or what's not. Just one bad story, bad news story feeds another, mm. uh, and it doesn't. It takes a lot to lift that kind of a. That kind of a gloom, I would have thought. What else have you got there? Yeah, okay, so what else? Um, where are we? Uh, yeah, Guardiola uh, says that Manchester City's 3-0 victory over Tottenham in Nashville is the best performance of his entire time at Manchester City. This is um, in a match which Jose Mourinho would, would describe as a, as a training session, just a training session. <clears throat> but uh, he says that this was, this was the first time he's seen um, a Manchester City team play and gone, yeah, this is really what, this is what I'm looking for at last. Um, uh, he said, you know, look, we've, um, it is pre-season, but we didn't have a performance like this all uh, last season. We can't forget which team we played. That was Tottenham, obviously. Um, the way we did it, our performance is good. I'm so satisfied, especially from the last two games. Pochettino um, says now, it's now saying that Tottenham are a little bit behind our opponents. I mean, there's been a few days when people have been like, oh, Tottenham, almost smug Tottenham. They've they've already cracked it. They don't need to do anything. And you know what a build of bus! Like what an amazing job they've made of it. And already you know used then three nil in a preseason friendly to Manchester City and Pochettino saying we're now behind the other teams. You know something's going to have to happen here. Um, <clears throat> we're working hard to sign some players who can make us more competitive. That sort of thing. So it looks as though Daniel Levy will have to actually do something. Um, have to actually sign somebody. Just simply keeping all the best players isn't going to be. Uh, enough probably, um, but what else is going on? Arsenal. Um, there's a, there's a story going around today about Stan Kroenke, and it, it's kind of indicative of the lack of real, um, lack of real sort of football related stuff at the moment. Just as everyone's still in preseason, but um, that that Kroenke had like launched a, a new TV channel or TV service, um, which. Uh, it's, it appeared to feature him endorsing trophy hunting. Now, I mean, come on. You know, this is, I, I was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. Will I, will I get to see some um, pictures of Stan Kroenke posing with uh, animals that he slaughtered, like the Trump brothers? Ah, so animal trophy hunting. Because I would have thought Arsenal fans would be delighted for him to be trophy, <laughs> just, just trophy hunting. This is incredible. Yeah, no, I'm talking about when you go, you go out into Africa, uh, you know, the African uh, bush and come back with like uh, pieces of dead animals, tusks, horns, um, pictures of you standing with your foot on the head of a dead lion. Yeah, I know the kind of stuff you're talking about. Um, yeah, you know, to be fair, um, this story is a bit of a, is a bit of a confection. I mean, basically, 
Stan Krunker owns the company that owns the service, you know what I mean? So like they've kind of launched this thing, which is described as like, oh, Netflix for hundred. Basically people, Americans mostly owned, with uh, high-powered uh, weapons, killing defenseless creatures mm. uh, and taking photographs of themselves and filming themselves going around being like at one with the earth. You know, know apart from like the 3,000 feet per second, you know, projectiles that they're shooting at these animals, which, yeah. which is a bit of a technological advantage, I would have thought. You know the defense that, they often, that is often put up in these cases? What's that? That the money, that the big money that those people bring into these largely African countries actually pays for animal conservation. Oh, yes. I know it, that on the face of it sounds absolutely nonsensical, but that tends to be the... Sometimes, some of them don't even really hide... The, there's a bit of... They don't really hide what they're out there for, but the, the ones who do justify it, it, do it in that way. What we really need to do is step back and, and let capitalism save, uh, save the natural world in Africa. Um... More money, maybe, might be the answer here. <laughs> <laughs> if we could simply find some way to have more money uh, circulating around. But, um, okay, so, so I mean, I, I didn't get to see the, the picture of... I mean, there, there was a quote, like, there's nothing like shooting an endangered elephant, which, A, wasn't an accurate quote. I mean, someone did say something like, there's nothing like shooting an elephant. Uh, I think it is probably uh, an emotional experience. Uh, it's something George Orwell wrote about. You could check that one out. Shooting an elephant. He, he, he had to do it uh, when he was a policeman in Burma and an elephant kind of started to run amok because they have these, they, they kind of uh, have, even these kind of tame work elephants have moments when they, or have, uh, they, they go into something called must, which appears to be some hormonal excitation. They kind of go a bit crazy. And uh, he was sort of trampling on stuff, knocking stuff over, and then he killed it, killed somebody, like stamped on them. Right. So then George Orwell was like the ranking police officer in this village and they kind of came to him and said, oh, there's an elephant going crazy here. And so he thought, okay, what should I do? I suppose I'll have to go and look at this. And he went down to sort of look where the elephant was and, uh, well, he, he went down, that this is when he found that the elephant had killed somebody. So he says, oh, this is, you know, this is obviously bad. I, you know, I, I'll have to send for the elephant gun, which he does. And as soon as he does this, then he everybody's like, oh, he's going to shoot the elephant now. So he ends up walking out sort of into the fields where the elephant is, is supposedly gone. It's, the elephant is now hanging out, and he finds it there kind of eating grass. But he turns around, and there's like 2,000 people now watching, waiting to see him do this. And he realizes, oh, dear, I now have to shoot this elephant because if I don't, this crowd is going to laugh at me. <laughs> I really, really don't want to do this. Mm. And I know that this is the wrong thing to do. But I have to do it because the thought of being laughed at by these people is simply too much. Um, it's a good story, but it does leave you wondering why anyone would necessarily want to do it just for fun. Um, although not everybody thinks about the world the same way. Some people do like the idea of shooting things. Anyway, San Cronca, you know, I don't think he's quite as guilty as these stories have made him appear. He is the owner of a company that makes a spectacle out of this violence. So I suppose, yes, he's responsible. But there weren't, there weren't, I couldn't find any pictures of San Cronca, you know, covered in blood. Uh, having you know, with, with his no uh, trophies how many hours you spent spread out on the ground before him, no, no. Um, the king of Spain was done in one of those. The king of Spain ended up having to abdicate because of this. Isn't this am I? Do, do you remember this, Karen? The king of Spain was like uh, not the current king of Spain. No, he he's abdicated. He this is a, this is a couple of years ago. He. He, he he went to Africa and shot a bunch of animals, and then the photos went up, and obviously everyone would be 
people who do that think, oh, what a legend I am. Like everyone looks at this and goes, well, the King of Spain is, is a lot like Ernest Hemingway. Like he's a real he's kind of a real man. Probably stronger than that elephant. When you yeah, think of it, I yeah. mean, like, like he's clearly I mean, dominating the elephant. Yeah, I mean, obviously the elephant has a slight weight and height advantage, but which one of these two mammals are dead? It's not about that's the, the question I'd be asking. The size of the dog in a fight is the size of the fight in the dog, plus the size of the weaponry. High but whatever, I mean, ammunition. I don't know what the saying is. You know, it, it gets clunky if you start add, adding in. It turned out when the when the um, pictures hit the Spanish media that most people thought it was really disgusting. Uh, and weren't impressed by it at all, and it made him uh, very unpopular. Anyway, sorry, I, d- I didn't mean to talk about this for quite so long. Arsene Wenger is speaking about... Um, uh, this, is a, this is an example of Wenger's positive thinking. I love this. Uh, Alexis Sanchez hasn't, uh, hasn't signed a contract extension. It's agitating, it seems, to remove Mesodosal in the last year of his contract as well now. Um, are these the two main players on the team? Most people would say, well, probably. They've been the sort of face, faces of Arsenal for the last couple of seasons. Uh, Arsene Wenger uh, asked about the prospect of going into the season with them both in the last year of their contract and therefore able to walk away for free at the end. says, it's an ideal situation um, because everybody has to perform. When you're a football player, you perform until the last day of their contract. What does it change if you have two years or one year to go? If you got in the football pitch, you want to play and to do well. Do you really think you sit in the dressing room before the game and think, oh, I only have one year in my contract? I will not play well today. Where does that come from? <laughs> oh, I admire Wenger's, uh, Wenger's uh, ability to play this one cool. He's uh, literally forgotten the entire career of Mark Viduka. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Viduka is just—he's—it's just disappeared into Wenger's subconscious, and never to be, never to be seen again. He should be able to remember it because one of the all-time great Viduka performances was at Highbury. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Highbury when Leeds stayed up, beating Arsenal three-two, and Viduka was inspired, and uh, Arsenal obviously were the losers on that occasion. But, um, I mean, obviously the problem here, what Wenger is saying is, is true enough so far as it goes, but the problem is Alexis Sanchez and Mesut could play really well. And the better they play, the more likely it is they won't be playing the following season. And Arsenal are left in the situation of we've lost our best players for zero. Wenger says he thinks this is going to become more, um, more likely as uh, time goes on because of the transfer fees having grown so high um, that you will get more and more players deciding to... Uh, to finish their contract before they move because so much money has to change hands between the clubs that it actually has a depressing effect on the wages of the, the player. Or rather, that there is all this money out there. Why should the players allow the clubs to sort of, you know, allow the transfer fee to kind of suck up so much of the money when they could be getting that money for themselves? So Wenger says he thinks this is going to happen, which maybe isn't going to appease Arsenal fans who would like to see him sign these Guys, King Juan Carlos, by the way, mm. abdicated in 2014. The incident involving the hunting photograph happened in 2012. Okay, Probably so the last, well, yeah, the latter part of his his twilight years, supposedly as king, were mired in corruption claims and some other gaffes. They're being called here in the article that I'm reading, including the photo of him with a dead elephant in Botswana in 2012. Yeah, while his country was at home reeling from the financial crisis. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, so it wasn't actually because he was killing these animals, but it certainly did his image no favor, favors. I mean, it made him very unpopular at the time in a whole bunch of ways. But um, uh, Nemanja Matic has signed for Manchester United. That's been confirmed, actually, just in the last few minutes. I mean, we kind of knew this was going to happen. I mean, Mourinho had been speaking about it. Um, 
And okay, so Matic, it, it it appears was not Jose Mourinho's first choice. That Eric Dyer was his first choice, and there were a couple of stories that oh, Jose Mourinho was beginning to get a little bit annoyed with the with the um, hierarchy of Manchester United. Where are all my where are all my players for the new season? I need to make a serious uh, bid for the title this season, but I can't do that if I, without these signings. Well, they have delivered uh, Matic for him, a six foot four inch player, <laughs> another tall. Yeah, uh, so this is. This is surely getting towards record-setting territory. I mean, this is... I think d- d- the old Tony Pulis Stoke had a few... had a really big average height. But these guys, this Manchester United team, is one of the, big, is one of the biggest teams you've ever seen. Um, uh, we also had Jose Mourinho talking a little bit about Antonio Conte. Antonio Conte disrespected him a little bit, you see. Antonio Conte was saying, well, we're trying very hard here, Chelsea. We're trying real hard... Not to have a Mourinho season. Just in case that went over anyone's heads, what he meant. He then added, two seasons ago, the club finished 10th in the league. Uh, We are trying, we work very hard to avoid this. Well, it comes back to Jose Mourinho. He's in Norway, uh, United playing a friendly against Alaranga. And this is how he responds to Antonio Kant. I could answer in many different, in many different ways. But I'm not going to lose my hair to speak about Antonio Conte. And he, as he says, I'm not going to lose my hair, he actually stroked his hair, the front of his still still quiffable hair at the front. Still just about quiffable. It reminds me of uh, when... Uh, and, and, and by the way, sorry, he did say then Antonio Conte. Yeah, which I've he, never heard somebody say it's before. It's just one syllable as opposed to two there. Yeah. I mean, I've heard... I've never heard him called that before, but I'm pretty sure that Jose Mourinho, fluent in English and Italian, didn't do that by accident. I mean, come on, is this is this more petty than the Rafa Benitez's wife needs to button her lip and start looking after his diet because his waistline is out of control? That was two seasons ago. Is this worse? Uh, that, that was probably worse. The hair gesture. Uh, I don't know if. If our listeners are familiar with the Seinfeld episode where Jerry sets George Costanza up on a date and uh, George is asking a series of questions to Jerry about the prospective date. And uh, uh, he says, what about her hair? George Costanza, of course, famously bald. Yeah. Uh, What about what about the hair? And uh, Jerry goes, good hair. He says, yeah, because hair is very important to be thick. Lustrous hair is very important to me. And as he's doing it, he's scratching his bald head. <laughs> That's exactly what Jose Mourinho was doing. Thick, lustrous hair is very important to me. That's yeah. it. Uh, yeah, so, he, so that's, that's the content I told. I mean, I, I can't imagine Cunha's going to like that. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's just not something that happens too often. Doesn't, can, you think of, can you think of managers sort of insulting each other's appearance or, or taunting each other over having hair transplants before? Was that, Usually, de- was that definitely the taunt, do you think? Maybe the fact is, I, 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 I thought I'd heard it simultaneously, but there could be absolutely no doubt. I, th- I don't think there could be any doubt. And of course, he's not the only time. Tar- it's an increasingly target-rich environment for a man who finds hair transplants funny. The world of football <laughs> managers, you know, wealthy men, many of them middle-aged or, or even older, you know, and suddenly science has... Boldness is... It's a poor man's disease now, Ken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that. Um, yeah, I guess that'll do for now. That's it for Ken's report and support. FIFA made a movie recently. Uh, Did they? John Delaney could run anything. 
In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself. And I, and I said to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you, with one or two explosives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, what well, I do. And that was it. With one or two explosives. And I just asked him to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds. And I said, move on now, please. And then he moved. When I went in and told him how I felt about him, yeah. and there were some expletive views. We came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement for FBI. Right. And we've used the figure there. Well done to you. A pretty dramatic day in Spain with Cristiano Ronaldo appearing in court, uh, covered by a pretty big media presence, I'm sure. Dermot Cargan was among those journalists. Dermot, he didn't have anything to say, I assume, to you guys today. I don't know. Um, he didn't. It was, it was a strange one, all right, because we were... We were all there standing around in the sun for a couple of hours waiting for him to come out. And the, the word from Hestifude, from his agents, was that he was going to come out and read a prepared statement. They set up a little dais and they had a, a sound system that they had put in place themselves that it wasn't part of the court's usual setup at all. It was all set up for him to come out and, and talk. But then in the end, he didn't. He, he left through the, the back door to the, the parking garage of the building and headed away without saying anything. So it looked like he was going to come clean and... Well, maybe not come clean, but at least talk and give his version of the story. But in the end, he he just kind of annoyed everybody and headed off into the sun. Yeah, which is a, which is a, a strange move because I'm sure Ronaldo, uh, who has been dealing with the media for a long time, knows that there's nothing uh, likely to get you negative coverage quite so much as making a whole bunch of journalists stand in the sun for a couple of hours and then leaving without giving them anything. Yeah, for sure. There was there was even boos and whistles from some of the cameramen who were, were standing. It was kind of funny because everybody was like, "Ah, here, what what's the story here?" Um, the the kind of the word from the court just coming out from some of the the reporters who who have better sources inside the court is that he was he was unhappy when he when he left the, the building. That going in, he was supposed to be smiling and ha- calm and, and tranquil and relaxed as as people say here, but then leaving, he, he legged it. So I don't know if there was a change of plan that maybe the idea was for him to, to speak, but because of how things went to the judge, this is this is kind of based on, on the rumour that was going around in the press back outside, but based on how things went, um, he, he decided against talking because he wasn't in the mood for it. And is this, this is like a private hearing, is it? I mean, do people know what actually happened in there? It's a private hearing behind closed doors. There's the judge, then there is Ronaldo and his people, and then there's the prosecution and their people. So there's the legal teams, and that's based on you know word that came out from from one side or another of the of the court system. It's a strange thing about Spain, you know, going through the Messi tax case, the Neymar cases. Even though all these things happen behind closed doors, the the sources close to the the court get pretty much an idea of what has happened, or at least people give their versions of what has happened and then try and spin it outside the with with the media outside. So, what is going on? What what exactly is at stake here? Well, there's there's a lot at stake. Um, the what has happened is that the the hacienda, which is Spain's tax authority, the, the prosecutors inside hacienda have looked at Ronaldo's finances and they say that. Uh, they did a big long document about it, but they say that between uh, for three years he didn't pay any or enough of his taxes on his image rights. So he, he was supposed to have paid 14.7 million that he didn't pay. Um, Ronaldo's the story from Ronaldo's people is that they dispute that. They say that 
because of the, the, they admit that he has a complicated setup of companies that go through some of them in Ireland, some of them in the Virgin Islands, but they say that he has paid the right amount of taxes that that he should have paid. The prosecutors for the the tax authorities say no, and it's up to the judge now to decide whether whether the case should go forward to trial. Uh, there was a fee, of, or, or rather, a sum of fifty million euros being mentioned in relation to this. I mean, that's obviously different from the fourteen point seven million euros that uh, it's it's alleged Ronaldo should have paid and didn't pay. But what? Where did this figure of fifty million come from? Yeah, I've that that's been in some of the the work that I've done around it. Um, it comes because the fourteen point seven million is for a pretty. Um, it's for twenty eleven to twenty fourteen, and it's just based on his image rights income. Um, so that's that's definitely that it would be fourteen point seven million. Then on top of that, there would be fines that that you'd have to pay. Like when when Messi was in in court, he had to pay fines which were more or less equal to the the taxes that he hadn't paid. It, it depends. There'd be interest on top of it. And then there's there's other um, there's other parts of Cristiano's accounts that, that they've not got around yet to charging him on. That they have the the story from the court or the leaks from the court is that they have trouble with that. Like Cristiano's image rights are a very complicated thing. He sold them to to Peter Lim, the owner of Valencia, the guy who, you know, is a, a big big player around around football and is close to, to Jorge Mendes. And he sold his image rights to him going forward up to to twenty twenty, I think the year is. So he says that um, one argument is that he should have to pay have paid the taxes on the money that he got there. Another argument could be that um, because he hasn't earned that money yet, or because he hasn't done the promotional events yet, that the taxes are not on it yet. It's a it's a tricky one, and you know the fifty million is a is an estimated figure of how it how it could go badly for him in the end, I guess. But the, the sums we're talking about are are pretty huge. Yeah, I mean that is big. That's big money, you know, even for for a very rich guy like uh, like Ronaldo. I mean, he he obviously a few weeks back was seemed to be pretty pissed off about the whole situation. I mean, it, you know, I mean whether he has a right to be annoyed in the circumstances. You know, people will have to make up their own minds about that. But, you know, evidently he wasn't uh, happy about what was happening. There was talk at the time of him leaving. But it seems as though uh, nothing like that is going to happen. However, uh, nothing has really changed in terms of the problem that he faces. So what do you think is the is the deal with him kind of going forward in terms of his relationship with Real Madrid, whether he wants to keep playing there? Why would he have wanted to leave or been really angry six to eight weeks ago and now in a situation where not really much has changed, would he apparently be um, okay with everything? Well, I think that the, the main thing that has changed is that at the start of the summer, Ronaldo scored the, you know, had that phenomenal end to the season, scored the two goals in the Champions League final, was, you know, had, had come back, you know, at 32 years old, people were saying before, you know, maybe he's, he's, kind, he's kind of winding down, he's not as good as he used to be, then he, he finished the season flying, you know, shooing for the Ballon d'Or again, was in a great bargaining position. As the summer has gone on, he's you know his bargaining position has got uh, much less, much weaker. Um, you know, Manchester United was a place where people thought he could go back there. Mourinho's more or less ruled that out. There was a feeling that that United weren't going to pay pay the money. PSG were the other kind of escape route that he had. <clears throat> Excuse me, but they've gone all in on Neymar now. So, you know, he doesn't have too many options apart from coming back to Madrid, which is maybe why the the talk of him leaving has has gone quieter recently. He still hasn't said anything himself. You know. Uh, the, he's done you know promotional videos in or promotional trip to China for Nike. He's he's talked a bit at the Confederations Cup, but he's never said, you know, I'm I'm happy to stay in Madrid. I'm looking forward to coming back to Madrid for the new season. And the longer it goes on without him talking, even then he didn't talk today, the more annoyed people around Madrid are going to get. And you know, it's it's an unfortunate 
situation for me. He was so good at the end of last season, but he's really muddying things here here in Spain for sure. What about PSG and Neymar? You touched on it there. He's supposed to be flying to Qatar tomorrow maybe to sign up? Yeah, that was the story. I think uh, in Barcelona, they're, they're pretty much resigned to the fact that I'm leaving. They're starting to spin the fact that he it's him who's pushed it out, that the rest of the players are, are not so happy with him, that blaming it on him and and not on, on anybody else, which, you know, is, is fair enough, I think, the way the way it has worked out this this season. So I think unless there's a there's some kind of late turnaround in that, then, yeah, he's, he's going to be a PSG player. And, and what do you make of it, Dermot? I mean, I wonder, are you surprised at the way that it played out? I mean, I, I remember we were speaking to, you know, say, Miguel Delaney around the time that it started, and he was, at the time, sceptical that this would you know, that it would actually go through. I mean, because it's it's a long time since a player of that quality has left, uh, you know, Barcelona don't, don't tend to lose their best players at their peak. Um, I mean, everybody, everybody can see the financial motivation for Neymar in doing this. I mean, there was some, the, there's a report in one of the Spanish papers today that suggests he could end up becoming a billionaire as a result of all the different sort of contracts that they'll be able to throw his way um, as a PSG player working for, you know, Qatar Sports Investments and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we can we can see that that's a clear kind of factor pulling him towards Paris. But are there any push factors there as well? Do you think, uh, I mean, how, how do you read it from Barcelona's point of view? Was he unhappy with certain aspects of his situation there uh, that made it easier for him to decide, okay, I'm going to go? I don't, I don't think so. Like there was no, there was no feeling that that he had fallen out with anybody that he didn't get on with Messi or that he didn't like being in, in Messi's shadow. Dire- directors, though, Dermot, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, say, I'm thinking of everything Dani Alves has said. I mean, Dani Alves, since he left Barcelona in a very bitter way, has criticised them on a number of occasions since. Is, a, is apparently good mates with Neymar and, of course, is a PSG player uh, now. But I wonder, did he have some of the same sorts of issues that Dani Alves complained about in terms of relationships with the directors of the, you know, of the club not being good? Yeah, for, for sure. Like I think most of the Barca players have, have had their problems with the, the Barca board. Um, going back a couple of years, the, there's a quote from Messi where he said that Barca have the best players in the world, but they deserve to have the best directors in the world, but they don't. And, you know, directors at various times have come out and, and slagged off Messi or, or made comments about even Bartomeu's in the New York Times there over the weekend saying that Javi had said that Barca aren't bringing through enough young players, and Bartomeu says the problem is Javi that he kept repeating that um, that Javi was somehow to blame for for, for what had happened. Yeah, I think his yeah. point his point was that was of course we didn't bring through any central midfielders for fifteen years because Xavi was in the team, so all those guys who came up while he was in the team just had to go. Yeah, that I could see what he was trying to say with that, but he was pretty he said it pretty clumsily, and even the the argument itself is is pretty debatable. Like Javi's been gone for a good while, and they could. They could easily have, have brought through players that Lamassi isn't working the way that it used to. To to go back to Neymar, maybe maybe it is that he feels that he, he's never going to say win the Ballon d'Or as long as Messi is around. That if Barca win the Champions League, Messi's going to win the Ballon d'Or. And from from a personal point of view, it's an ambition that he has. He thinks of whether PSG are going to win anything or not is, is pretty debatable. But he, he thinks that maybe if I do it here on my own, I can be the big star. I can. You know, be be the leader of of, a, of the franchise in, in Paris, and maybe that attracts him in a way. But I, I think it still does come back to money. All right, Dermot, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, up. Up, here's the story. An old pumpkin.
We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. Inside and outside, blue They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate on the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's hearts. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, my oh, word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> just cannot. Got an email in here from Reza Kavanagh. Hi, Owen Ken Murph. Hello. Hello. Emailing in to point you in the direction of the greatest David versus Goliath event in the history of football, maybe even all sports. I refer to the last 32 tie between Shamrock Rovers, Darwin and the mighty Sydney FC in Australia. My cousin went to Australia six years ago for work based in Darwin and living with a bunch of Irish. They decided to set up Shamrock Rovers Darwin. They're a team made up of mainly Irish and English tradies. I haven't heard the term tradies before. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tradesmen, I suppose. Well, yes, yeah, I'm assuming that. From Trades people. From small beginnings, they blossom quite quickly. For the second year in a row, they have won the league in the Northern Territory and are in the last 32 in the entire country playing the mighty Sydney FC. Sydney are the first side to go a whole A-League campaign unbeaten, boasting several Australian internationals and the Brazilian international Bobo. Their wage bill was $3.5 million last year. They get around 25,000 fans on average to each game. Rovers get around $8,000 worth of sponsorship to keep afloat. The game is on the 2nd of August. Your Australia-based Irish fans would love a shout-out. Thanks from Reza Kavanagh. I do have to take issue with one of those details. Sydney FC did not finish the season unbeaten. Right. It's their regular season record. This is Sydney FC. Reads, play 27, 120, drawn 6, lost 1. Mm. They did win more games, amass more points, score more goals, and keep more clean sheets than any team in Australian League history, in A-League history anyway. But not unbeaten. Not unbeaten, nevertheless. Not bad company to be keeping for a bunch of chippies and sparkies and so on from Ireland. That's pretty good. Wish them luck, lads. The very best of good luck. May the road rise to meet you. Also, Bobo only played under 20 for Brazil. He didn't get the full cap. Listen, I don't want to be raining on the Why is he gilding the lily like this? I mean, it's a pretty unbelievable achievement and now all we're doing is saying (laughs) it's Sydney FC. They had so great. Yeah, surely they should beat Sydney FC. The boys from, what, what are they called again? Shamrock Rovers. Shamrock Rovers Darwin. They should be putting Sydney FC to the sword. Yeah. And rising... Right to the top of Australian football, as far as I'm concerned. Don't forget, if you want a chance to get tickets to see Robbie Fowler, Niall Quinn, Jason McIntyre, and Shea Gibbon at our Cadbury Premier League night on Wednesday, August 9th in Dublin, tune in to tomorrow's show on the World Service. If you're not yet a member of the World Service, please join up on secondcaptains.com. Thanks very much, Ken. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, too. Thank you. Thanks a million for listening. Talk to you tomorrow.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.